Psalm 41. Before we read it, I want to read at the very top of your sheet the summary of the Psalms. The summary statement comes from Kendall Easley. Have you ever wondered, what are the Psalms about? What are the, what's the major theme of the Psalms? Is there a major unifying theme? Well, uh, this statement helps us to understand what the Psalms entail. And it says, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. And so, in the Psalms, you see all different types of situations and circumstances. You see people going through um, very difficult experiences, people experiencing great victories and blessings. And through it all, there's this constant theme that God is worthy of our worship and praise. And so the Psalms are a reminder to us that no matter what comes in life, God is worthy of praise. Amen? And no matter what comes in life, God is worthy of our confidence and our trust. And the Psalms remind us time and time again of that reality. And the Psalms are 150 chapters long, and they were written to be used in corporate worship. And so, really, the book of Psalms is a hymn book. They're they're meant to be sung. And David wrote them, others wrote them, uh, to be given to the musical leaders uh, in, in the time of the kings to uh, actually lead in corporate worship among the Israelites. And so when you're reading these psalms, remember, they, they are meant to be sung or were written to be sung. Always important to remember that. We're going to be in Psalm 41. I'm calling this Blessed Be the Lord because that's how the psalm ends. Psalm 41. It says there, To the choir master, a psalm of David. So just a reminder, this was written to give to the choir master. And so David wrote it and gave it to his, his Travis uh, Travis is our choir master, and uh, the choir master set it to, uh, to music, and it was sung in worship. And it reads, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of tr- trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me. And raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And notice the next words in your Bible are book two. Does everybody see that? Book two. We'll talk about that uh, in just a moment. Let's pray together. Ask God to bless our time. Father... We are grateful for this time together. We're grateful, Lord, for your presence here. We're grateful, Lord, that we have truth with no mixture of error. That we can study together and learn from together and be changed by together. We are grateful for the Bible. And I pray that you would give us this this opportunity. Lord, grant us this opportunity to, to learn and to grow 
and give us, Lord, through this study, a deeper hunger for your word. And God, help us to see you more clearly as we study your character and your nature. Again, we thank you for this time together. We love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you look there in your notes, I've given you a very important first sentence to help you understand this psalm and really the whole book of Psalms. And it reads, God, I'm sorry, the key theme of this psalm is the key theme of the entire book of Psalms. Let me say it again. The key theme of this psalm is the key theme of the entire book of Psalms. The key theme of this psalm is, blessed be the name of the Lord, or blessed be the Lord. God is worthy of praise. And that is the theme of all of these psalms. Now, it's interesting to remember that the book of Psalms is divided up into five collections or five books. And here's what's interesting. At the end of each book, there's an outburst, that's in your notes, there's an outburst of praise. Every book ends with this outburst of praise and adoration for God. For example, look there in verse 13. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. That's the end of book one. Look at the end of book two, that's Psalm 72. Psalm 72. Verse 19, or verse 18. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. Very similar ending. And then you get to book 3. Look at the end of book 3. Psalm 89. Psalm 89, verse 52. Psalm 89, verse 52. Right before you get to book 4, the end of book 3, it says... Blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. So you see this theme here, how each book ends. And then look with me over in Psalm 106, verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say what? Amen. Praise the Lord. And so again, an exclamation of praise ends book 4, and then turn to the very last chapter, the end of book 5, the end of the entire book of Psalms, Psalm 150, look how Psalm 150 ends, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And so, at the end of each book, uh, the Lord arranged it all in a way to remind us, hey, this is what the Psalms are all about. They are all about praising the name of the Lord, blessing the name of the Lord. That's what the entire book is about, and that's what Psalm 41 is about, about blessing the Lord. That's what it says there back in verse 13. Blessed be uh, the Lord. And so, back in Psalm 41, we see some reasons leading up uh, to that last exclamation of praise. Some reasons that God is worthy of praise. I want to give you those reasons tonight. We're going to just walk through the psalm and consider uh, why God is worthy of our praise. It's one thing to say God is praiseworthy. It's another thing to say why is God praiseworthy? What should we praise God for? Four, what is it about God that should cause us to say thank you and should cause us to glorify Him and cause us to worship Him? Well, some answers to that are found in this psalm. Number one, God is worthy of praise because of His help. Because of His help. Look what it says in verse 1 of Psalm 41. Blessed is the one who considers the Lord in the day of trouble the Lord 
delivers him, the Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. And so here David is talking about God's help for his life. Now, that leads to two questions. The first question is, who does God help? Who does God help? And the answer is found there uh, in verse 2 when it says, or verse 1, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of, the, of trouble, the Lord delivers him. So who does the Lord deliver? The one who considers the poor. Or that word poor could be translated weak. So the one who helps people that have needs in their life can expect God to help them. Now, you know, there are a lot of phrases thrown around that people think are in the Bible, and they're just not in the Bible. Right? For example, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. All right? I guess it's a good sentiment. It's just not in the Bible. And this verse teaches something different. This verse teaches that the Lord helps those who help others. If you're a person that helps others, you can then expect God's help. And and this is a a theme all throughout the Bible. For example, hold your place. Turn to Proverbs, the next book. Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 24. The Bible says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. So there's a, a principle there that those that give away find themselves being blessed with more. Those that try to hold on to what they have end up losing it. That's a, a basic principle that God has built into the fabric of humanity, into the fabric of, of history, if you will. And it says something similar over in chapter 21 of Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs 21 with me. Proverbs 21, verse 13. This is saying what I'm saying, but in a negative way. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. So... If you're the kind of person that doesn't want to help someone when it is within your power to help them, then you should not expect God to help you when you have needs in your life. Isn't that what you see that verse saying? That's what the verse is saying. And this principle is really driven home in Galatians. So turn there with me, New Testament book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Look what it says in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That's a a principle that God has built into uh, the way things work. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from uh, from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us, look at this next phrase. Let us not grow weary of doing what? Good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do what? Good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. So there's the principle. 
that if we are sowing the wrong thing, we will reap the consequences of that. But if we're sowing good things in our life, like helping others, doing good to others, then we, need, we can expect to reap positive benefits from that. Now, this is not prosperity gospel, you know, give a seed so you can get rich. That's not what this is talking about at all. It's saying that as God's people, we should be on the lookout for those that have needs in their life. And when it, within, it, when it is within our power to help them and do good, we do that. And when we do that, we can expect that God will do the same for us. But when we are selfish and stingy, and out for number one, we should not expect God to, to come to our help and our aid. Because you, you reap what you what? So, And so that's a biblical principle. And so back in Psalm 41, David is saying, Hey, listen, uh, God's come to my rescue because uh, He helps those, He blesses those that help the weak, that help the poor. And so those who help others can expect God's help. Now, that's the who. Who does God help? The second question is, how does God help? How does God help us? And, you know, we could talk all night long about the different ways that God helps us. Uh, And this is not an exhaustive list, but this is what David says. These These are some insights into how God has helped him. We can apply these insights to our lives. So how does God help? First of all, he delivers. Verse 1. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The one who helps the poor, hey, when they need help, God inclines his ear. God delivers them from trouble. And we talked about deliverance, I think, last week. And how God is the God of rescue. And we should be grateful that God has rescued us from our sin. And God rescues us all the time from from troubles and struggles that we find ourselves in in this life. And so God loves to rescue her. He's a res- he loves to rescue. He's a rescuer. That's who he is. And we should praise him for that. And so God delivers. Number two, he protects. Verse two, the Lord protects him. The Lord protects him. Uh, in other words, God watches over us. The Bible even indicates that God uh, uses angels to watch over us, uh, encamped about by angels to watch over his children. And I believe that the Lord's protection is one of those things that we don't think a lot about. But I believe that when we get to heaven and the Lord allows us to kind of look back over our lives, I believe at that moment we will see just how much God protected us from things we aren't even aware of as dangerous. But God is always doing his protecting work. Here's the statement I like to say about God's protection. Nothing, listen to me, if you're a child of God, nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. Think about how awesome that is. Nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. And Romans 8.28 says that if, if he allows it, he's, he's allowed it for a purpose. He, he works it together for good, right? So nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. If he allows it, he has a purpose for it, your ultimate good in it. And so uh, God protects. We should be grateful for his protection. Third, he preserves, verse 2. The Lord protects him and, and keeps him alive. The Bible uses that word keeps a lot. Shamar is the, the Hebrew word. One of my favorite passages that speak of God keeping us is found in the Psalms. Look over with me in Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Spoiler alert, all right? I don't want to ruin Psalm 121 for you, but we'll, it'll be like two years before we get there, so... 
you probably won't remember what I'm about to say. So Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come? From where does my help come? My help comes from who? The Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Notice the theme here. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the sun by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so the psalm of ascent here is, is rejoicing in the reality that God keeps us. Shamar. He holds us in his hands. And one of the wonderful realities of knowing Christ is knowing that when you have a relationship with God through Jesus, nothing can ever change or break that relationship. You are kept in that relationship by God. Isn't that good news? This morning I was praying and I was just thinking about my salvation when I was nine years of age and and, and just thinking about my life and how God's been faithful and the times I've gone the wrong direction. He disciplined me to get me back on the right track. And, and he's encouraged me and helped me and grown me and matured me. I was just thinking about my spiritual journey and how good and how gracious God has been. And I, and I said to the Lord this morning, God, God thank you for, for, for saving me. Thank you for keeping me. You didn't just save me and say, hey, good luck, Wade. See you in heaven. When God saved me, he stepped into my life and took hold of me. And he holds on to me. He keeps me. Isn't that good news? And so the Lord protects and the Lord delivers and he preserves us. He holds us in his hand. And as Jesus said in John 10, nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Next, he provides. Back in Psalm 41. He provides. Look what it says in verse 2. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. Blessed in the land. The land is, is spoken of often in the Psalms as an inheritance from the Lord, a blessing, a, a material blessing from the Lord. And so he's speaking of the one whose God is helping. He's, he's blessing him in the land. He's, he has the, the, the material things that he needs. God provides for us by giving us what we need. Next, he sustains. Look in verse 3. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. How many of you um, have ever gotten sick and then you got well? That's, that's sustaining, right? And, and for God to sustain you, he had to heal you, which is the next verse. He heals. That's the last, last blank there. Verse 3. It says, the Lord sustains him on a sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. So when we find ourselves sick and weak, God sustains us. He carries us through that sickness, through that illness. And then he heals us. He, he brings us out of that sickness. And so we should be grateful for God's healing work in our lives. And you know, a lot of times we think about healing in a dramatic sense. Like someone has something that is life-threatening, and they have a dramatic turnaround. And that's wonderful. And I believe God does heal. I believe God heals today. If you know someone in your life that's going through something difficult physically, uh, don't be afraid to pray in the name of Jesus for their healing. Put it in God's hands. He's all-powerful. Amen? We, we need to pray for, for physical and, and spiritual and emotional healing in people's lives. There's, there's no question. But sometimes we take for granted the day-in, day-out healings that God grants us. 
right? I mean, what if you had a cold that never went away? Right? I mean, what, I mean, what if you never got better? I mean, how awful would that be? I mean, you know, my, my son earlier this week, my little one, had an eye infection. And, and praise the Lord, we live in, in a society where we could get uh, eye drops. And we gave him eye drops. And that was a nightmare, giving those eye drops. But we gave him eye drops. And, you know, the next day his eyes are clear. I mean, praise the Lord that God's given mankind the capacity to understand things like that and have medicines that heal. I, I was thinking, you know, what do they do with, with serious eye infections back before they had this kind of medicine, you know? Uh, and so the Lord sustains and He heals through miracle and He heals through medicine. And we should be grateful for His physical blessings in our life. Hey, if, you're, if, you, are, if you woke up this morning, that's a physical blessing. If your heart's beating right now, and since y'all are looking at me, it is. That's a physical blessing. That breath that you just took, that's a Physical, bless. right now God is sustaining you through the ailments and frailties of humanity. Right? Right now. Right now you are being helped by God to even stay alive. And so God is our helper. He delivers, he protects, he preserves, he provides, he sustains, he heals. I love this quote from James Montgomery Boyce. Love this quote. Uh, my friend Tom back there showed me before we got started tonight. He has a book. I quote James Montgomery Boyce a lot, and uh, he has a book signed by James Montgomery Boyce. I'm a little jealous of Tom, actually. But listen to what James Montgomery Boyce says about this passage. It would seem that this list of things the Lord will do for the one who is merciful moves from the most general, like deliver him in times of trouble, to the more specific, sustain him on his sickbed and restore him from his present particular illness. This is worth noting, Boyce writes. Listen. It is not merely that the Lord cares for us in a general way, though He does do that. The wonderful thing about the Christian life is that God cares for us in specific ways. And so, like today, God helped Steve in ways He didn't help me. Because Steve had different needs than I did today. And He helped me in ways He didn't help Steve. Because I had different needs than Steve had today. He goes on to say, It is when we are sick that he provides comfort. It is when we are discouraged that he lifts us up. When we are not sure what decision to make, he gives clear guidance. Listen to this. Such is the personal interest and care provided by our God. Let me read that again. Such is the personal interest and care provided by our God. Isn't it an amazing thought that the God of the universe, that God that spoke and the universe left into existence, that God cares for you. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows why the tears go down your cheek. He knows your needs. And He is a God who helps. It's like the psalmist says in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And so why is God worthy of praise? Well, a lot of reasons, but one reason that you and I should praise him is because he helps us. Because he helps us. You ever heard the uh, statement, if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had help getting there? Right? And listen to me. If you ever see anything good happen in my life, you know I had to have some help. Because left to myself, I would make a mess of things. And it's the same in your life. 
If there's anything good, it's, it's God's help, right? So we should praise Him for helping us. Second thing, God is worthy of praise because of His grace. His grace. I'm going to try not to get too wound up here because I love talking about grace and I know we've got time limits and all of that good stuff. Um, I had someone tell me uh, before church that at a church they uh, grew up in, there's a lady in the church and when the preacher started going too long, she actually on the back of a fan held up a stop sign. No, don't get any ideas. I'm just telling you, that's, that's what not to do, all right? Don't get any ideas, all right? All right. But I love talking about grace. And David loves talking about grace. Look what it says in verse 4. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. And then look what he says down in verse 10. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me. And raise me up that I may repay them. So David's dealing with two things here. We don't know exactly what time period in his life. But he's dealing with sickness and he needs God's help to be healed. And he's dealing with enemies. And maybe they're related in some way. But he's saying, God, I need your help. I need your grace. Now, just a quick definition of grace. Uh, If you haven't heard this in a while. Grace is simply unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. It means that God does good things for us, and we don't deserve them. If God ever does anything good for us, we don't deserve it. Ever. All we deserve is His wrath and His judgment, but God made a way through His Son to punish our sins by punishing Jesus in our place so that He could lavish us with blessing that we don't deserve. That's called grace. Unmerited grace. Favor, undeserved blessing. That's what grace is. And David here mentions, hey, God, I need your grace. I don't deserve it, but I need your help. And I know if you help me, it's going to be based upon your grace. David is appealing for God's help, even though he knows he doesn't deserve it. You say, wait a minute, Wade. You just said that God helps those who help others. So maybe... So maybe people do deserve it. Maybe if they help others, they do deserve God's help in their own life. Wait wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen to me. The impulse in your heart to do good and help others comes from God. That's His grace. Even good works are motivated by His work in your life. You would, listen, you would never want to do the right thing apart from God's grace. And so even when you do good to others, that's God's grace. Grace, again, if you ever see me doing something right, you know, treating my wife right or, or treating my kids the way they need to be treated or helping someone out, listen, it's grace. It's grace. And David is peeling for God's help and he knows he doesn't deserve it. And listen to me, if you understand how unworthy you are and how unworthy I am of God's help, it will cause you to be more grateful for his help. I mean, if you think you deserve it, No big deal, right? But if you know you don't deserve it, it'll make you grateful for what God has done for you. And so, David here is is praising him for his grace and appealing to him on the basis of his 
grace. You and I should be grateful for amazing grace. One of my favorite verses about grace is found in Ephesians 2, verse 8, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's all grace. We have nothing to brag about except Jesus. It's all a gift of God's grace. And David's saying, help me. I don't deserve it, but, I, but I'm asking for grace. And I believe God is honored when we appeal to him on the basis of grace. God, I need your help. No, I don't deserve it, but would you help me? Number three, God is worthy of praise because of his help and God is worthy of praise because of his grace. But third, God is worthy of praise because of his salvation. This psalm speaks of the great blessing of salvation. David speaks of deliverance, rescue in this life, and salvation in the life to come. Look what he says. In verse 5, he's asked for God's grace, and he says, My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. And when he goes out, he tells it abroad. So he says, My enemies want me to die. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Verse 10, But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. So God, I believe you're going to rescue me from these enemies, this threat. But you have upheld me because of my integrity. You've come to my rescue. And so he's speaking of deliverance in this life. And again, if, if you know the Lord, you've experienced God's rescue in so many different areas. But David, big picture, is rejoicing in eternal rescue. Because look what he says In verse 12, you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence for how long? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And David's saying, you've rescued me from enemies here in this life. And because of my faith in you and your redemption, you have rescued me and prepared a place for me to be in your presence forever. Speaking of heaven, eternal salvation in Christ. And so this psalm speaks of the great blessing of salvation. You say, well, I don't see any mention of Jesus in this psalm. Well, not so fast. Look what verse 9 says. Even my close friend, whom I trusted, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, David there is talking about personal betrayal, but guess what? The Holy Spirit inspired David to write this verse down as a picture of the coming betrayer named Judas. This is a picture of what Jesus Christ would endure. So how do you know that? Well, turn to John 13 with me. John 13. This is the famous scene where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Let's start out in 
verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Jesus is using the foot washing as a picture of the cleansing we have in Christ, the salvation, the forgiveness we have in Christ. And so Peter said to him, Well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it is completely but it's completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. So he said, hey, if you've been washed by me, washed by my grace, you are forgiven, but even as a Christian, your feet still get dirty, and, and you need to have your feet washed sometimes. It speaks of sanctification, growth in our relationship with God. But he said here, you all are washed. You're saved. You've placed your faith in me. But he says there, not every one of you are clean. For he knew who was about to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, that's all the disciples, including Judas, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you, not, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. What scripture? Look what he says next. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He quotes Psalm 141. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when he does take place, you may believe that I am he. And so Jesus here is saying that way back, hundreds of years before Jesus walked on the earth, when David wrote Psalm 41, verse 9, he was prophetically under the inspiration of the Spirit, writing of the one who would carry out the ultimate betrayal. Yes, David was betrayed by those close to him, but those betrayals were a faint echo of the greatest betrayal when Judas would betray Jesus into the hands of enemies. And that verse in Psalm 41 was quoted by Jesus saying, that spoke ultimately of Judas. And so even in Psalm 41, we see a mention of the ministry of Jesus who came from heaven to earth, took on human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, a matchless life. And he left the worship of heaven to experience mockery and mistreatment and betrayal. And he went through all of that Because he loves you. He went through all of that so he could go to the cross and die for your sins and my sins. And so even here in Psalm 41, we see, even a verse about betrayal reminds us of all that Jesus did, all that Jesus endured for us. And so this psalm speaks of the great blessing of salvation, and this psalm speaks of our great Savior. It is a a reminder of Jesus and what he went through, what he endured for you and for for me. And so David closes out Psalm 41 with uh, just joy in the salvation that God offers him. And then book one's over. He, he, hey, 
It's put here for a reason. Here's how book 1 closes. Blessed be the Lord, verse 13. The God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. What a great psalm to close the first book. A psalm that reminds us that God is worthy of praise because of His help, because of His grace, because of His salvation.